This is Tani Talks Radio, where we talk about the sheer, a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. Of course, you can hear all the previous episodes on the Tani Talks Radio podcast, as well as the other podcasts. You can listen to Radio, Parsha, OT, Perke Avos, and Daf anytime on different podcast players. And you can listen to previous episodes of the radio show as well on different podcast formats. The question for tonight is how can we be energetic hosts and how can we be hosts in different capacities and different capabilities and different situations? People think of a host. People think of being a host just as a Shabbos table, a Friday night or a Shabbos day or Shalashudas. People think of it that you're sitting at the table and you're hosting people, but really the definition of hosting actually goes far beyond that. It doesn't have to be just at the Shabbos table and it doesn't have to be just in your house, although that's wonderful if you have shirim or meetings or get-togethers, it's wonderful, especially for Torah, Mitzvahs, and Chesed, but it goes beyond that. It could be in the car. You know, they say that if you drive someone, that's an aspect of Hachnasas Orchem. It could be in your office. You know, if someone visits or someone needs something, you can host, make sure they have a chair, make sure they have something to drink or eat, you know, make sure they're taken care of. It could be out and about, whether you're meeting someone out and about or in the community, in the town, wherever you go, you can be that host and you could take it with you. A lot of times I like to think about what can, what different people's favorite mitzvahs are. What is your favorite mitzvah in the Torah? What mitzvah particularly appeals to you and fits with your personality and your life? For me, my favorite mitzvah is that of Hachnasas Orchem, having guests. Having guests is a wonderful thing, and it's a terrific thing to be able to have in your own house or in your own apartment, or even if you have a dorm room, in your own dorm room. It goes to the fact that, let's say, back in the college days, I had my part of the room. The room was maybe, I don't know, 15 by 15. My roommate had seven feet, I had seven feet, there was a foot in the middle. If people came to my my room, I wanted to be a good host, right? It doesn't just mean in the house, it doesn't just mean in your car or in your office. Even if you're in college, you're able to be that good host. You're able to be that person that's able to make sure that people have what they want, what they need. You could give them snacks, you could give them drinks, make sure they have somewhere to sit, whether on a bed or a chair. You could take care of what it is involving the guests. Ever since I can remember, I loved having people over, even as a teenager, bringing friends home for Shabbat, for Shabbos, was always a huge highlight of the week for me, sometimes having one, two, or even more friends at a time. When I was in yeshiva in Israel, I used to take a friend or two with me, sometimes more, to someone's house for Shabbos, whether a family friend or family we met through the wonderful Anywhere in Israel program that would connect you to a Shabbos experience, a Shabbos family, anywhere you wanted to go in Israel. Hopefully it's still around. They explain on their website, anywhereinisrael.org. Anywhere in Israel is a free service that expresses the love of Jews to other fellow Jews. Every home that participates in anywhereinisrael.com is a Shomer Shabbos. The goal is to bring out the beauty of Jewish life in the land of Israel through the warmth of a Shabbos atmosphere in a wide variety of locations throughout the land of Israel. Anywhere in Israel is a wonderful, wonderful program. I did it many times, and each time was more wonderful than the previous time. Choose a place in Israel. Choose preferences. They'll contact you using the automated online system. You can request to be a host as well. It's really similar to the idea of Shabbat.com, which is now an app, I believe, which they describe as a social media platform and a global movement whose mission is to assist Jewish organizations and individuals worldwide with Shabbos hospitality, matchmaking, and employment opportunities free of charge. 
You could think of the famous Jeff Seidel in Yerushalayim who would match people up for Shabbos as well as the famous Machlises, of course one of them, the Love of Shalom, who used to have hundreds of people for Shabbos. And God willing, we'll talk about that later as well. H.com explains, for a complete listing of synagogues and Shabbos houses of Taudi around the world, there's an excellent book called The Jewish Traveler's Resource Guide, compiled by Jeff Seidel's Jewish Student Information Center. You could see it online at makshivim.org, M-A-K-S-H-I-V-I-M.org. In college and grad school, I still would love to have people over for Shabbos, but would involve myself in Shabbatons through Yachan, arranging different elements and being involved in many different aspects to ensure the members and advisors would have a great Shabbos experience. I was also involved with Hask and even NCSY in a time or two, ensuring members I was responsible for were having a good time as the guest or participant. Once we were married, my wife and I were able to start having people over for meals as well as sleepover, family or friends in our apartment in Brooklyn and later on in our house in Long Island, especially in the the past years obviously not until corona but you know in general there can never be in my opinion enough hachnosis orcham there's always more that can be done and it has no set amount and no sheer we should have famous and not famous guests we should have guests of all types and all calibers we should be ready at a moment's notice for guests and to make sure to have designated areas for them for example in our house we have two actual beds in the attic we have I, what I call three parts of the attic. There's the storage part with the undercarriage area. There's the desk part in the far corner where I have a, a coffee table. I switch into a desk by putting it on props on, on like, um, you know, bed, bed still kind of things where you lift it off the floor. And then there's some storage over there. And then the other side, there are two beds. And then there's like a little uh, storage entertainment compartment center. Used to have a TV. Now it's just two cubbies. And the two beds there, which is Dafka dedicated to guests. And then in the basement, we have a pull-out couch. We also have two random cots, floating cots that either are in the basement or the attic. So Baruch Hashem, we have two areas to have guests. Unfortunately, when it's too bitter cold in the winter or too bitter hot in the summer, it's not as advantageous to have people. But Baruch Hashem, we have that two areas and it's wonderful when people have a guest room i think that's a beautiful concept really teaches people and especially kids a wonderful thing that you have a dedicated spot in your house to have the guests is really nice but for people who don't have that then at least designate areas you know if you don't have the extra room it's too hard you know people live in apartments they don't have that but at least if you have a bed that turns into a a a couch that turns into a bed like we do in the basement or an area in the attic that people could theoretically stay it's a very nice thing but again, it doesn't just mean literally only in your house, especially during times where you have to figure out what to do. There are so many ways to go about the midst, so there are creative ways to go about it. If you don't want to have people in your house, if you have a front yard, have them in the front yard. If you have a backyard, have them in the front in the backyard. If you have a front deck or a back deck, we have a back deck, especially in nice weather of spring to summer. It's easy into summer. It's easy to have people in a wonderful aspect and in a wonderful way. You could also bring food to people. You could cook food for people, which I'm a very big fan of. You could send food to people. You could send gifts to people. And you could send clothing or the like for others. It has been said that giving other people rides counts, like we mentioned before, especially in different times when you can do it in a manner. It means welcoming guests in whatever way or whatever manner is possible. The Aish Rabbi describes on Aish.com, Hachnasas Orchem, Welcoming guests is 
a wonderful way, a key way to emulate God. In describing the mitzvah, the halachta bedrachav, to walk in God's ways, the Talmud says, just as he is merciful, so you be most merciful. Just as he is kind, so you be kind. One example of God's kindness includes feeding the hungry, as God did by providing the manna bread to the Jews wandering in the desert in Sefer Shamos. Avraham emulated God by performing endless acts of kindness. In Bereshis, in chapter, in Perak, Yudachet, we find God talking to Avraham. When Avraham sees three strangers approaching from afar, he suddenly jumps up to his feet. He offers them food and drink when it's three days after his bris meal. He's literally in the most pain. Avraham treats the guests royally and serves the finest foods and involves his whole family in the mitzvah. Sarah, make bread. Yishmael, who probably was visiting at the time, come help me make the make the animals ready and I will make it ready myself. On what basis did Avram prioritize the helping of strangers over talking with God? It's like, God, wait a minute. I have these guests I have to take care of. God, can you wait a minute? Can you hold on a second? Let me go take care of them and I'll come back. The answer is that even greater than talking to God is to be like God. Even greater than talking to Hashem is to be like Hashem. Hashem is a giver. God is a giver. We are created in the image of God. We are created in the right way, thus giving in us the greatest form of spiritual expression. Avram achieved great spiritual levels because he emulated God by welcoming guests into his home. Hachnas' Orchem is one of the mitzvahs described in the Talmud in Shabbos 127a, for which we receive the rewards both in this world and in the world to come. You know, and they were talking about going into Olam Mahaba. These are one of the wonderful ways to do that. Chief Rabbi Goldstein from South Africa of the Shabbos Project fame explains on H.com, the Torah sets the scene. Avram, at the ripe age of 99, is recovering from his recent bris mila circumcision surgery. Basically, he's in extraordinarily in amount of pain. Third day of, of after the bris mila, they say, is the most amount of pain, the most extraordinary pain. It's a searingly hot day in the desert. Hashem made it the hottest day so that he wouldn't want to have guests, but Avram's need and want to have guests was so strong that Hashem ended up sending guests even though it was the most hot day in like history. Yet there he is sitting at the opening of his tent, one of the four openings waiting restlessly for guests. Our sages teach us that Avram's tent was always open on all four sides so that anyone needing rest and comfort and shelter could enter from any direction, north, east, south, and west. The Medrash says that on that day God specifically ensured it was an intensely hot day to prevent people from venturing out, so Avram would be spared the trouble of looking after them. Yet despite the heat, despite the lingering pain of his circumcision of his bris mila, despite his old age, Avraham remained undeterred. As the day wore on, Avram became increasingly distressed as having no opportunity to do kindness. Isn't that amazing? To actually be distressed, not to do hachnasas orachim, is an emulation of a level that we should try to have. Hashem relented and sent him three angels, masquerading as weary travelers, whom with the help of his wife he proceeded to lavish, with choice delicacies and painstaking care and attention. There's one detail that's especially striking. The Parsha begins with the Shekhinah, God's divine presence appearing to Avram, and being with him while he recovers from his bris mila. When the traveler appear on the scene, when the travelers appear on the scene, Avram says, My master, if I find favor in your eyes, please do not Move on from your servant. That comes from Paragil Chet Pasik Gimel. The most obvious reading here 
is that he is addressing one of the travelers. But according to one extraordinary explanation in Rashi, these words were actually addressed to Hashem himself. In effect, Avraham was saying and asking God to hold on for him, so to speak, while he attended to the needs of his travelers. Based on this, the sages of the Talmud say in Shabbos 127a, make a radical statement. Greater is Achnasas Orchim, welcoming guests, than receiving the divine presence. Greater is Achnasas Orchim, receiving guests, welcoming guests, than receiving the divine presence. Isn't that fascinating? And so even though the Shekhinah came to be with him in the wake of his circumcision, in the wake of his bris meal, Avraham knew he would in fact have a more meaningful interaction with God through engaging with the Tzelem Elohim, with the divine image in another human being. So it was greater for Avraham to meet the guests than to literally speak to Hashem himself. It was greater for Avraham to do the Hachnasas Orchim than to be involved in ta- in being involved in discussing with Hashem. Rabbi Geffen points out on H.com, the men of Ammon and Moab displayed a great failing in the character trait of kindness when they refused to give the Jewish people bread and water. You know, Moshe says, we need to get through to Israel, we want to go through the most direct way, we don't want to go in circuitous way, can you let us pass through your land to Ammon and Moab, you know? And they say, absolutely not, no way, and if you keep bothering us, he says, you know, I'll go only on the main path, I won't go off, we'll pay for our food, we'll pay for our drink, and they say, absolutely not. They even say, we'll come out to war with you if you keep bothering us, basically. They refuse to give the Jewish people bread and water. This is one of the reasons that they can never marry into the Jewish people. The Melitz Yosher notes that their failure to be gracious hosts is all the more difficult to understand when we bear in mind that their patriarch, their their ancestor is none other than Lot himself. They come from Lot. Lot excelled in Hachnasas Orchem. They Lot excelled in Hachnasas Orchem. He actually learned that from his from his uncle Avraham, right? From his uncle. And Lot was able to be involved in it. He risked his life. He's a very perfection character. We're not going to go the whole, the whole story now about you know how he almost gave up his daughters and, and when he ran away with them, but whatever. Lot excelled in Hachnasas Orchim to the extent that he risked his life to look after the angels who came to Sodom. In light of this, how is it possible that in a few generations this trait completely disappeared and his descendants displayed such indifference? He answers that if a person performs kindness because of an internal recognition of its importance, and a genuine desire to help others that will become ingrained in his descendants for many generations. But, if the kindness comes from habit, then it will not be internalized by future generations. Lord indeed did excel at kindness. However, this was only because he was brought up in the home of the paragon of kindness, Avraham, his uncle. He did not attain an internal recognition of the importance of kindness. It was merely a course of habit for him. Consequently, actions such as those of Lot that are not internalized into a person's soul do not last. We should make sure that our ability to do Achnasas Orchem is literally ingrained in our personality and to be energetic about it, to be energetic hosts, have energetic hosting. Embedded into our DNA, we should make it second nature to us. It should be a spruce, a source of good habit, routine and structure to our very essence and our very being. It brings to mind the wonderful idea of the wonderful hospitality of what the Machlis is used to do, and they, it should be a, an Allah Shalom for the one that's with Hashem, but 
as explained by H.com by Sari Yochavit Riegler, on one Shabbat, a young American student from the Hebrew University was among the hundred guests who crowded into the modest Jerusalem apartment of Rabbi Mordechai and Henny Machlis. This student, wearing a nose ring and an eyebrow ring, was determined to undermine every word of Torah that Rabbi Machlis tried to share with his guests. Every time Rabbi Machlis spoke, the student would yell out, That's stupid, that's idiotic, that's dumb, that's archaic. Or he would laugh out loud, Ha 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 ha! The seemingly infinite patience of Rabbi Machus almost gave out. He sat down and said to his wife, That's it. He's just too disruptive. But Rabbitson encouraged her husband, Ignore what he says. Don't speak to him. Speak to his neshama. Speak to his soul. Mordechai somewhat con- somehow continued. At the end of the meal, the obnoxious student left. As he walked out the door, seven-year-old Moshe, one of, the, one of their 13 children, asked him, Why do you have that dumb thing in your nose? The student retorted, Why do you have that dumb thing on your head? So the child, Moshe, at the time, seven, answered, Because I always have to know that there's something above me, and higher than me, and better than me. Now why do you have that dumb thing in your nose? The student returned to his dorm room and wrote in his diary, Just imagine, that little kid knows why he's wearing a kippah, but I have no idea why I'm wearing a nose ring. Three days later, he returned to their apartment and announced, I want to learn more about what it means to be a Jew. I want to be, I know, I want to learn more. I need to learn more. I want to learn how to put on tefillin. For more than two decades, the Mahlises had opened their home to amazing assortment of Shabbos guests every week. Sixty to a hundred guests would show up for Friday night dinner and an equal number for Shabbos lunch. Who came? Travelers, yeshiva students, university students, the homeless, the mentally ill, Hadassah ladies, tourists, lost souls, UJA mission visitors, new immigrants, even drunkards, widows, orphans, Sarel volunteers for Israel, birthright participants, and truth seekers. I actually went myself with my brother and sister-in-law way back in the day when I was in Israel myself. It was a fascinating experience, literally elbow to elbow, you know, room not even, and they would pass around a, a, a washing station, and you could not move basically the whole meal, which was fascinating. It wasn't like an amazing, crazy, crazy, huge, huge, huge apartment, but somehow they fit everybody in. While most of their guests were from English-speaking countries, the family also hosted people from every continent and from countries as far away as Japan, China, and the Philippines. Some people came hungry for food, the ample helpings of home-cooked gefilte fish, chicken soup, chicken with barbecue sauce, at least three kinds of kugel, an array of salads, vegetarian alternatives, and four kinds of cake. Of course, destitute souls could pick up food at a public soup kitchen. But what is Shabbos without Shabbos songs and words of Torah, which the rabbi used to provide as profusely as his wife's cooking? Some people came hungry for love and warmth. Two orphan young women in their early 20s had an apartment and good jobs, but on Shabbos they missed the family atmosphere they once knew. A refined 67-year-old widow ate alone every Shabbos for five years after her husband passed. Her independent persona dissuaded her friends from inviting her. Those three then joined the palpable warmth of the machlis table. Some people came for spiritual inspiration and unconditional acceptance. The rabbi radiated religious elements to people, and religious and secular guests sat side by side, most wearing kibbutz, some opting not to. Most people said the appropriate blessings, often for the first time. Some opted not to. Everyone was encouraged to say a few words of introduction or wisdom or personal reflection. Everyone was lovingly received. A smattering of Gentiles curious to experience a Jewish Shabbos managed to find their way to the Machlis house on Shabbos as well. Once a group of ten Mormons came for Shabbos, when it was their turn to speak, 
Each one rose, politely thanked the family for their hospitality. When the last Mormon, a young woman, rose to speak, she burst into tears. She finally managed to compose herself and declared, I'm Jewish. Both my parents are Jewish. This is the first time I'm in a real Jewish home. I had no idea how beautiful Judaism is. Once an American man in his early 20s partook of all the Shabbos meals at the home there. At the end of Shabbos, he approached the rabbi and admitted that he was confused. Although his mother was born Jewish, she had raised him completely secular. In fact, he had become a born-again Christian and had come to Israel with an evangelical group in order to missionize the Jews. But what he had seen over Shabbos revealed that contrary to what he had thought, Judaism was a vibrant, profound religion full of love and full of compassion. Full of love and full of compassion. How wonderful. How wonderful that he could see that and feel that. To feel that compassion, to feel that love is a wonderful, wonderful thing. The Machlis' hospitality was not reserved for Shabbos. Rare were the days when needy persons were not sleeping in the Machlis' extra beds or on their two couches or on the rug in the living room. Every night, one, two, or three men too drunk or crazy to want to sleep inside the house slept in the Machlis' van. When Mordechai left for work in the morning, he could tell how many van guests he had by how many pairs of shoes he saw on the front windshield. Once a drunk Russian immigrant in his early 50s came for Shabbos dinner. When everyone else had left, the Machos discovered this man asleep on the floor. He woke up, vomited, and was invited to sleep on the couch. He stayed for a few months, during which he gave up alcohol cold turkey. When he started to suffer withdrawal symptoms, Henry any alarm called a specialist to make sure it was safe for him. Eventually, they found him a job and an apartment. The Rebbits and Henny Malchus passed away on Friday, October 16th, 2015. Her soul should forever be with the, uh, the bonds of life. Again, I myself experienced the beauty of this household when my brother and his wife visited me when I was studying in Israel many years ago in Yeshiva on one particular Shabbos. We walked from the Kotel to his house along with many, many guests and piled into the small, modest apartment. We were literally elbow to elbow with guests next to us, very cramped in. At the time, I did not like it or appreciate it, but I think back now how beautiful it was for them to try to fit in as many people as possible into their modest home. They must have had a, over a hundred guests with us alone. Water was passed with, to wash with, food was passed out. We ate physically, but also ate spiritually. I'll never forget that meal and how beautiful it was and how its effect was on me, Blinader. You don't have to have a hundred people, you could have one person, but having people in your house, having people in your life, being able to host people is a beautiful thing, is a wonderful thing, and we need to try to do it better more often in our lives. Age points out with author Rhonda Robinson a beautiful story from September 2017. In Atlanta, synagogues all over town welcome more than 1,000 Jews who fled Florida and coastal Georgia ahead of Hurricane Irma back in 2017, which forecasters called one of the strongest storms ever recorded in the Atlantic Ocean at that time. The evacuees included everyone from pregnant young women to old men in wheelchairs. Word quickly spread that one of the women had given birth to a baby boy after arriving in Atlanta. They reflected the many faces of Jews from all backgrounds, from girls in blue jeans to guys in black hats. Many, many different people abounded, many people were there, and there was a, a plethora of different types of people. Many invoked one word throughout the Shabbos of Hurricane Irma, unity. Family hosts and guests became friends and played Jewish geography, discovering amazing coincidences of connection. For instance, the son of an Atlanta host had been roommates with the son-in-law of her Florida guest. 
community members not only provided shelter from the storm, but also fed guests thousands of meals, from bagels to big ziti and chicken to chowan. It feels like family, declared Ilana Parsons of North Miami Beach. At a comes, it's a Saturday evening gathered with lively music and dancing at Young Israel of Toco Hills. She, her husband, son, mother, and niece drove 650 miles to Atlanta to escape the hurricane. 650. We're overwhelmed by the kindness, friendliness, and compassion of the Atlanta Jewish community. They go the extra mile, putting welcome signs all over the shul and in the shuls and in the yards. Her husband, Rabbi Arvi Parsons, added, Everyone's opened their doors and made you feel like you're doing them a favor to be able to provide hospitality. To be able to feel like you're doing the other person a favor by letting you host them is an ultimate beautiful level. To be able to thank the guests for coming because it is a privilege for you to be able to be machnes to be involved in machnes is a really beautiful thing, a really beautiful level that we should all strive for and try to get for. Indeed, Rabbi Elan Feldman and Do- Fox Runner of Congregation Beth Jacob noted in the Shul Bulletin to the Atlanta host community, we have been presented with an opportunity to unleash the latent giving and compassionate nature that, exists, that exists in every Jewish heart. We know that if roles were reversed, our guests would gladly be our hosts. We are immensely inspired by the outpouring of love and creativity in such a short span of time and by the accomplishments that came from amazing teamwork. In addition, we think we acknowledge our partnership with Young Israel and others throughout the community without which this would not have been possible. Jody Wittenberg, one of the congregation Beth Jacob, Young Israel of Tokyo Hill's team of 14 command central volunteers who arranged housing and feeding logistics in a mere 48 hours, credited the Orthodox Union for providing money to sponsor meals. None of this would have happened as smoothly as it did without the financial and emotional support of the OU. How beautiful. How wonderful. How fascinating. We have the ability in our hearts, but we have to tap into this for others. On a constant basis, whatever the circumstances around us and whatever effective way that might be possible, even in difficult times, even in difficult situations, and even in difficult circumstances, we can still take care of people. We can drop off food or send food if we can't literally feel like we have them in our homes. We can send gifts or toys or clothing to others. We can still give. We can have guests in different ways. We can help guests and others in different ways. Listen to this beautiful tale from nishmas.org, a tale, a story that comes from nishmas.org. On the sanctity of Shabbos, the beautiful sounds of laughter, talking, walking, praying, and singing can be heard all over the world, and especially all over Israel. What ruins this is the sounds of motors running from buses, cars, and motorcycles. Different neighborhoods, especially in Yerushalayim, want to preserve the sanctity and the peacefulness of the beauty, the beautiful aspect and the holy nature of Shabbos. The residents of Meisharm had the idea to try to attempt to close Meisharm Street to traffic on Shabbos. There were trash bins set up across the street to try to keep out automobiles and the like from the community. There was a committee formed to oppose the closure of the street called by a name which declared their opposition to religious coercion. This was coercive against the secular that the residents wanted to close the street, which runs through their completely orthodox neighborhood. This committee against religious coercion used to bus ruffians into Jerusalem from Kibbutzim and other places to attack and beat up the residents. There was one man who was one of those ruffians who went up to Yerushalayim to try to force the residents through physical means in order to make them open the street in their neighborhood to traffic. One Shabbos, 
He was in Jerusalem. He was in Yerushalayim with his own automobile and decided to show those residents a thing or two. He drove his car down Meisham Street like a Roman charioteer, as he described it, with pedestrians scattering in panic, expecting women sprinting from the street, women with baby carriages bouncing across the uneven pavement, older gentlemen getting out right in the nick of time, all to show them that they can't impose their Shabbos on him. One man, a local teacher, had the presence of mind to memorize the number of his license plate and look him up the next day at the Motor Vehicle Licensing Bureau. Then he, find, he found the driver's telephone number. Then he called up the driver and invited him home for Shabbos, explaining that he wanted him to see what Shabbos is and why it means so much to us. The driver declined, explaining that he would not want to spend the whole of Shabbos. The teacher said, I am inviting you to be my guest, not my prisoner. You are free to leave whenever you want. Just do me the courtesy of parking your car outside of the neighborhood. He could find no honorable way of refusing a challenge so reasonably presented, so he went Shabbos evening for Kiddush and the meal. They talked somewhat and he left. When he left, his host invited him to return another Shabbos and to reinforce the invitation called him during the week. Eventually he came again for Shabbos and again and again. Over the next year or so, he became first an occasional Shabbos guest, then a frequent Shabbos guest, and finally a regular Shabbos guest. Over a period of two to three years, he became a Baal Tshuva, newly religious. How beautiful. How wonderful. One simple gesture, one simple act, everyone else is so mad at the, these other people. They're ruining our life. They're ruining our Shabbos. They're ruining everything, and the other people are so mad. Why are they imposing their Shabbos on us? One man has the brilliance to say, you know what? I'm going to get his number. I'm going to find his license, find his number. Let me try to get him. Let me not antagonize him. Let me not fight. Let me do something in a unified, unity, beautiful way. That is the way, really, to figure out how to get through these times of the Ikvesh de Meshicha. We know Sinaschina was a major problem. We just had the three weeks in Tishabav just a little while ago. Here in summer 2023, a real solution is Ahavashinam. And this man, this brilliant man over here, figured out one simple way on one person's level to get some Ahavashinam across to get him to come for Shabbos, to show him what Shabbos was, and to explain why it meant so much, to show him, not to tell him. The most important thing in life for kids and others, a lot of times, is not telling people things, but showing people things. You can tell to your blue in the face. You could talk in one ear, out the other. You could try to mention things in this way or that way, in this way or that way. The best way, the real simple way to get things across is by showing. If I want my kids to see I love to cook, I have to cook and show them and bake and cook with them. If I want to show them that I'm very into doing kids' projects, I have to show them the project and let them see the project. If I want to show them that I myself walk around in a different manner where I might keep on my sisters being involved and trying to do mitzvahs, chesed, and Torah learning, I have to show them, see what takes priority. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, we show them here. He showed the man what Shabbos was. A motorcade of secular Jews driving down Barilan Boulevard on Shabbos is an opportunity to talk to them. They are in your neighborhood on Shabbos. Invite them for Kiddush. They have never seen you in a positive, sympathetic way before. Great good can come of it. Now listen to the story from Chabad.org with author Bluma Weinberg translated and adapted 
from Sipuri Tzadikim number 257. The Baal Shem Tov once gathered a select group of his students and announced, Come, I will show you someone who sincerely and wholeheartedly welcomes guests into his home. The Baal Shem Tov asked for his horse and wagon to be prepared for a trip. The wheels of the wagon flew through the fields and forests and mountains and valleys. By late afternoon, the Baal Shem Tov and his students arrived at a village and the wagon came to a halt in front of an inn. A Jewish man came running out of the inn to greet them. He called out, Hooray! Hooray! There are guests! Precious Jewish guests! Hooray! Another beautiful level to, to admire and to aspire to. Hooray! There are guests. Not grown. I have to have guests. Ugh, I so dread having guests. The Shabbos is so much work. Absolutely not. Hooray! There are guests. I love having guests. This is such a privilege, such an opportunity. I'm so excited to bring people into my home, to have people into my home. By the way, guests doesn't just mean the meal. Even hosting playdates, I believe, counts as Even having people over, a friend, just a schmooze for an hour, is a way of having guests. Hooray! There are guests, precious Jewish guests. The innkeeper went over to the travelers, invited them into his home. Come, dear rabbis. Come into my home. You can rest up and eat something. You will refresh yourselves and at the same time bring life to me. It's not every day that I'm so fortunate to do the mitzvah of Achnas Azorachim, welcoming guests. The Baal Shem Tov responded, Perhaps it would be better that we continue on our way to the nearby city. There we will have a mikvah. We will be able to pray with the congregation and hear the Torah reading. Oh, but I have a mikvah and a Torah scroll right here. Together with all of you, we will also have a minion, a quorum of ten. The innkeeper said, entreating them to remain. He added that if they would like to pray in the city on Shabbos, they could walk there because it was in, within the permissible area. One is allowed to walk on Shabbos. In the end, the Baal Shem Tov agreed to the request of the innkeeper and the travelers became his guests. While the innkeeper lived modestly, he offered his guests his best rooms and did everything he could to make their stay comfortable. After they had prayed, he invited them to a table set with delicious food. He himself stood by to serve them. On Shabbos morning, they all walked to the nearby city to pray. After Shabbos, the innkeeper prepared a lavish Malava Malka feast, the meal after the conclusion of Shabbos, and even invited many more guests from the area. He radiated joy as he greeted his guests and bustled around making sure everyone was cared for. The Balshantov and his students spent a few more days with the villager who took care of all their needs personally and did everything in his power to make sure they felt at home. Before leaving, the Balshantov asked their host if he had any special requests. My only request is that you pray for me that I merit life in the world to come, he answered. The thing you ask for is dependent upon you, the Balshantov responded, but if you want me to bless you, you must come to me in Mezabush. And by the way, I can give you some sound advice. Since in our country there's a shortage of wine, when you come, it would be worthwhile to bring with you a hundred barrels of wine of the best kind so that you can earn a nice profit. Time passed and the students all but forgot about the whole episode. One day the Baal Shem Tov said to his students, Today a group of four people came to our town. Please go and tell them I'm inviting them to my Shabbos meal. The students were very surprised to hear this. The local custom was that poor people and passing guests who came to the town all had their needs met by the local committee in charge of accommodating wayfarers, who arranged meals and sleeping accommodations. Now the Balshemtov was inviting this group to his house. When the poor folk were seated around the table, the Balshemtov turned to one of them and invited him to come sit next to me to him. Do you recognize me? The Balshemtov asked him. Yes, the poor man answered. I had the merit to host the rebbe and his students in my inn. The students sitting around the turbo perked up their ears. Tell us what happened to you since then, the Belshamdov continued. 
The villager told the following tale. When the Rebbe told me to come to him in Medjavish and bring a hundred barrels of the best wine, I firmly believed in the words of the Rebbe. I set out to do this. I sold everything I possessed, bought a hundred barrels of wine, then I set out on my way toward evening as we passed through a forest. A big storm broke out in torrents and rain fell. The path was totally sodden with water. The wagons were unable to move forward. I got off the wagon. Leaving the merchandise with the wagon drivers, I started searching for a house or an inn in which to spend the night. Eventually, I noticed a small light far ahead in the darkness. I, moved, I went towards the light. Soon, I reached a house in the forest. An old Jewish man with a flowing beard greeted me at the door. He invited me in. The house was warm and well lit, and the old man treated me kindly until I warmed up. In the morning, after I said the morning prayers, I parted from the regal old man and went back to where I had left my wagons. However, there was no trace of them. It was as if they had vanished into thin air. At first, I was very upset and very depressed. However, then I began to think that I don't have any reason to be upset. Hashem nasan Hashem lakach, yehi shem Hashem mevorach. Hashem gave, and Hashem took. May the name of God be blessed. Surely it is all for the good. I decided I began to walk and then came upon a group of poor people traveling this way. I traveled with them until I came to Mezhebich. The poor man finished his story and all eyes now focus on the Baal Shem Tov. Do you regret that you asked me to be blessed with life in the world to come? Perhaps you would prefer to get all your lost wealth back, the Baal Shem Tov asked the innkeeper. God forbid, the man replied without hesitating. Is the Rebbe suggesting I give up my share in the world to come in exchange for a hundred barrels of wine? Absolutely not, Rebbe. I am prepared to remain a poor person all my life, traveling from place to place if only I can merit life in the world to come. Indeed, that is what I wanted to hear from you, the Baal Shem Tov said. A Jew needs to be ready to give up everything for faith in God. You accomplish this, and therefore you will merit life in the world to come. A smile of pure happiness spread across the poor man's face. The Baal Shem Tov continued, You are thinking that now you will have to wander with your friends for a long time. Well, that is not the case. With the help of God, tomorrow the wagons with the wine that you lost in the forest will arrive here. You will sell them for a nice profit. You will once again be able to do the mitzvah welcoming guests as before. Sure enough, the very next day the wagons arrived. As the Baal Shem Tov had said, the villager became wealthy and continued to host guests in a generous fashion. We can do on our own level to do what we can to be like the innkeeper. We should use our house, use our resources, use our time and our money, whether it's a house or an apartment or a room. Use your resources, whatever you have, to give and do for others, especially for Hachnas' Orchem. I also want to hear some, I want also want to speak out some tips from Amuna Braverman on H.com, some aspects of thinking about how we could be the best hosts we could be. The first tip is to secure the guests and serve them cheerfully. It's hard to do Hachnasurachim. It's difficult to do Hachnasurachim. But if you're serving with a frown or you feel ungracious, it's going to put a damper on the whole experience. They're going to feel awful and imposing that they should, where they really should be feeling welcome and no trouble. Listen, you have to do what you can. If you're having guests, do what you can to go above and beyond. Don't show them any anger or disappointment or annoyance. I can't believe he asked me for this. Another bowl of chulant and another bowl of chulant. No, be happy to do so. Be happy to do so. Don't show an air any dirty laundry at the table, any squibbles with the spouse or the kids or any struggles. Don't play that out on the table. Make sure to be a gracious host. Don't contradict or correct a guest unnecessarily. The Torah admonishes against this. You could prove you're right, but what's the point? It's going to make the guest very uncomfortable and very unlikely to accept another invitation. Being right is a lonely position. Number three, while guests should feel grateful for their efforts of their hosts, do not emphasize how much trouble you went to to help them. 
Nobody responds well to this. I know you like hearts of palm, so I went to five stores to find it. I stayed up all night baking your favorite cake. Nobody likes to hear this. It's not comfortable. Neither children nor guests respond well to this guilt trip, and the comment suggests that the hospitality is meant to satisfy some need of the host rather than those of the guests. It's a good rule for life as well, by the way, avoiding this kind of guilt trip at all costs. If you made the extra effort, keep it to yourself. Speaking of it diminishes everyone's experience. Number four, don't push your guests to eat. I'm actually guilty of this. You guys sure you got everything to eat? You had eat enough? It's a challenge for Jewish mothers and dads. All house hosts needs to be vigilant. A host who takes pleasure in the cooking, or a host, wants to make sure that their people are enjoying the meal. If they don't like the food, you can't force them. Don't hurt them. With, if they don't like it or they don't want to try it, don't bother them. It's the guest's needs, not your. It's a good mantra to think. It's about the guest's needs, not yours. Maybe they have an allergy. Maybe they're on a diet or they have a strong dislike for it. Don't push them. It has been found that the need to really feed guests can be satisfied by having over single guys of almost any age. Although college works best, they haven't seen home-cooked food in months. And they eat anything and everything at the table. Number five, involve your children in welcoming and serving guests. This is a multi-purpose piece of advice. It's good education. It's a good example for guests. We'll proceed to say flattering things about the family as well. It makes their children feel more warmly, disposed to invasion of their privacy, and it also allows a, a relievance of some of the food servants' burden and allows greater freedom to interact with the people. And as your children get older, that ability for them to help will be even more so. Number six, learn from others. There's always someone who's more thoughtful, more considerate. Just as we don't remember things and we learn tips from friends, we can learn tips as well. Don't forget the basic things. If you're having overnight guests, make sure they have towels and they have linens and they have water and snacks or whatnot. Make sure they have some shops and shampoos would be really nice. A bottle of water and snacks by their bed is excellent. Toys for the children to play with. These are going above and beyond. Everyone's experience is enhanced by attentive and considerate hosts. Number seven, don't make your guests feel trapped. End the evening or end the meal before they keep glancing at their watches and eyeing the door. It's better they should leave regretfully wishing their conversation was longer than having relief and gratitude that they were able to escape like an escaped convict. Number eight, give overnight guests a way to get into the house, whether it's a key or a code or, or the combination. Obviously, they shouldn't remember it for long haul, but if they need to get out and you've got to go to sleep because of your small kids... Make sure to do what you can to make them feel that it's really their home, that they're there for Shabbos. This seemingly small and silly trip tip is actually an important one. Many of us spend many too many nights lying on the living room couch in exhausted super waiting for a guest to return. Or, maybe under, or thinking about where they are. Give them the ability to get in themselves. That's the key adage of make yourself at home. It's really a good idea for hosting. Guests should feel relaxed at the home. They should have full refrigerator and pantry privileges. They should feel that they're only concerned with what is involved and what they need to take care of. But you should do what you can to take care of them and make sure to be involved with someone. Even in different times, do what you can to be a good host. Learn from Avraham to be that good host. The table, we don't have a mezbeach nowadays. The table of your table becomes like a mezbeach. Learn to do, say little and do a lot, like Avram Avinu. Do what you can to also accept people with a great presence, with a gracious presence. Make sure you give what you can and do it in a way. Hospitality towards guests, the Gemara points out on Shabbos 127, it's as great as rising early to go to the study hall. 
Some say it's greater than rising early to go to the study hall, and some say it's greater than receiving Hashem, as we talked about earlier. Hospitality towards the guests is so great. It is such a great act of loving kindness. And you should know that you can go and do what you can in different ways. There are so many aspects, so many ways to be involved in being a good guest and you and being a good host. Learn from Avram what to do. Learn from Avram how to have guests and how to have others around you. Make sure to be a good ghost and greet everyone with a smile. Make sure to give other people the food first and make sure they have enough to eat and they have a big portion to eat. I used to love going away for Shabbos and I'd be so happy when they gave me a gazunta piece of challah because a lot of times the people that make the challah, it's really delicious and it's homemade, not me. But a lot of people do that. It's so good. Give them a nice piece. Give them a good piece and make sure that they're comfortable. They have a good spot to sit, that they have enough room. And make sure that they're having a good experience, that they feel that they have the generous portions and the generous place to, to eat and to go about and to make sure that they feel like they're being served with hospitality. We should do what we can to serve, to help, and to have others in our lives, whether in our homes or in our offices or in the car, whatever we can to do in great ways. Being like Avram, saying little and doing much. Having guests and doing for guests whatever way we can is a best thing to do, a truly best thing to do, a truly wonderful and top-tier mitzvah. Make sure open your house and make your house, time, resources, abilities, and money open to all those around you, giving to them in a wonderful manner. If you have the ability to have people and make sure to have them in your house, outside your house, in front or back. What a wonderful thing to do. Make sure to always be a good host. Always to the end, make sure you walk them out, walk them down the block, or at least walk them a couple almost, really four almost, eight feet. Send them off with a good feeling and in a happy way. Do for others, host for others, give to others with a happy countenance, with gladness in your heart. Use your time, your meal, your house, your car, your resources to bring Torah to the table and to guests and to teach others around you. Ensure the name of Hashem is on your lip through different Torah, songs and proper talk. Don't think it's beneath you in any manner to serve and do for others. The Gemara talked about how even sages would serve others. Moshe Rabbeinu, when Yisra is sitting with the Jewish people, where's Moshe? He's the one that's going around serving others. He wasn't even sitting. The greatest person in all of Israel, he was serving other people. Even if you think you're rich or famous, it's not beneath you to serve and give to others. Make sure to accommodate the needs of the guests. Find Make sure they have good food and drink, and they, you find their favorite food and drink, but don't tell them about it. They don't have to hear about your gloating. Torah lodging and the like should be wonderful aspects as well. There can never be enough hachnosas orachim. There's always more that can be done. It has no set amount or sheer. We should have famous and not famous guests, guests of all types and caliber. Remember, be ready at any time to have guests and have designated our areas for them. Again, we have those two cots that are in different areas. We have the pull-out couch bed. We're hoping to replace an even better one in the future. And we have the two beds in the attic in its own area and in the basement itself also by the way we have a a bathroom that was built in when we came to our cozy house each bathroom each floor has a bathroom and the bathroom in the basement is actually right next to the couch that pulls out which is like totally convenient i think is wonderful so it's a really cool thing for us to have as well the attic obviously doesn't have its own bathroom but there are other bathrooms as well Try to have a cheerful countenance when having guests and try to do things in a quick manner so as not to make them wait. Try to do the best manners possible for those you help, especially in different times. Make sure that the things you yourself would eat are stuff you'd give them to eat. Be generous with them and their portions. Be present with them. Eat with them. And do what you can in a wonderful way. Hospitality comes in many forms. We should emulate Avram Bino as much as we can, especially in this area. The point is that you should be a host. You should be an energetic host. You should be
should be a good host doing what you can to take care of them, whether it's with your car or your dorm room or whether it's with your apartment or your house. It doesn't have to be a mansion. Baruch Hashem, we have a cozy house. It's considered not large or medium. It's considered a, a small house, but you know what? Baruch Hashem, we're blessed with it. I work with a lot of people in the DOE that don't even have houses, so we should be zocha to just appreciate what Hashem gives us. Ezehu Ashir HaSameach Bechalko, be happy with what you have. You have an area to eat, a dining room that has a table with chairs. You have an area to cook the kitchen. You have an area to sit and relax in the living room, and you have an area to use the bathroom, Baruch Hashem. And there are a few rooms in the attic and the basement, small areas, but Baruch Hashem, if you have this capability in your life, if you can have people, you could host people, you could do what you can. You could drive people. My wife has been very good over the years driving people even completely out of the way. Even totally adding time to her commute each way. Baruch Hashem, hopefully in the, in the coming bit it will be much, much better with a major teaching change. Hopefully it will be good. Only good things for her and for everybody. But do what you can in your own way. Even when people come to my office, you know, I have a kid and the power comes. I have a place for them to sit. Make sure that they have what they have and they make sure they have enough space. And if people need something from their students, come in my office. I have all these things. Come, take what you want. I'm happy to help. Happy to be a good host. Ah, you need a drink. You need a snack. No problem. But do what you can to be a gracious host, a good host, an energetic host. Nobody likes a person who's very flat and blah, flat affect and here, good job as welcome. You know, we want it to be energetic. Good job as welcome to our humble abode. We're so happy to have you. We're so privileged to have you. It is ours, the chus, to have you. Halavai, we should be like the people in the stories where it's really a true privilege that we feel having guests over and having people in our homes, having people in our lives. It really is a privilege. It really is a wonderful thing to be able to be zilcha, to have people, have guests in our homes. And, you know, my wife has hosted her own students. Last year she did it on a Saturday night, and there was pizza, there was learning, there was crafts. Our whole first floor basically was overrun by about 40 or so students. Again, our house is not a large house. Baruch Hashem, it's a cozy house, a wonderful house. But she had some teachers and the students, and we're hoping to do much more things within the town for the students and whatnot. My wife has great ideas. Onyx Shabbatons would be wonderful. That's a great way to use a house, by the way. What a wonderful, wonderful mitzvah to be that teacher, that, that Jewish teacher. She's been teaching Judaics for a long time. Baruch Hashem, to have that ability is a really wonderful thing to host people, to have people, whether it be for different things. We once hosted a Shidduch meeting, and we once hosted a Shal Shudas, and we had a Shal Shudas last year for my dad and my brother. Different ways, different things that you could do in your own life to be a host. Be that energetic host, be that good host, and hopefully we could be Zolchem to have only good things together and may Mishana speedily in our days. Join us next time here on Tani Talks Radio, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. Here on Tani Talks Radio, God willing, join us same time same place next week here on tani talks radio and i'm your host tani